We welcome you once again to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ryan Mazzocco. And I'm Ethan Maestri. Ethan, this is a big show. Last week was a big show. Yeah, this is a different show. This is a different kind of show. Completely different show. (laughs) We're going away from our normal format of watching an episode and then reviewing it and discussing it. Uh, This week we're doing the whole first season. We are pulling back the veil so that uh, the listeners that have listened to this first season can kind of get a glimpse into the room with us to see what we go through week by week and, uh, you know, how we put the show together. Yeah, we're going to talk about, uh, we're we're still going to talk about Andromeda, a lot of Andromeda discussion. Is that what we're doing here? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you we didn't get my bit. notes, did you? <laughs> no, I do have them here. Okay, all I see. Right. I see. Oh yes, I see character <laughs> names. So yeah, we will be discussing Andromeda. So yeah, we did. We we finished the first season. A lot to talk about. A lot to look back on. Let's see. That's twenty-two episodes. Um, by my quick math, I guess eighty-eight glasses of scotch. Something like that. Yeah. You know, this is also usually a part of the show where we uh, do some sort of a little opening gag, some little joke. Uh, has something to do with the show. We don't have a show this week, so there's really not anything that we can play on. That's true, which I'm kind of relieved at, because coming up with opening gags is kind of the hardest part of the whole show. I know, and <laughs> it is it is kind of difficult. I enjoy the challenge. Um, maybe I enjoy it a little bit more than you do, because the last few weeks I've been like, okay, so what are we going to do this week? And you've been like... Maybe we don't have to have one this week. <laughs> well, it it isn't that I don't enjoy them. I do enjoy them when it strikes me. When I have an idea, uh, I, I, I you know I want to do it. Yeah. And, but then are, there are times when I think, well, maybe we're one either going to burn ourselves out, or two, we're going to burn out the audience <laughs> <laughs> if we keep at it. So yeah, sometimes it's I'm, I'm not as enthused. Well, sometimes they can be a little bit uh, more over the top than other times. True. Sometimes they're a little more subtle. Uh, sometimes they're way overproduced. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you don't believe me, go back and listen to the uh, opening for A Rose in the Ashes. There you go. Yeah. Or or the first uh, two, or, two or three episodes that we did, too. Yeah, that I don't was know. A- I thought those were pretty good. You didn't think those were... Uh, all right. There was a lot of production value in those. I, I was... Uh, listening to the playback, uh, the sound effects were quite impressive. Oh, thank you. That must have taken a while to dig those out. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty tough. But it ultimately, it is worthwhile, and it makes doing the show a lot of fun. And hopefully for the listeners, it's uh, it's something enjoyable for them to look forward to as well. How do we come up with those for each show anyway? I mean, you know, we have a, we have a production meeting uh, a couple of days before we record. Uh, we brainstorm a few ideas. And the uh, the big whiteboard where we put the ideas up and everything. We also have um, a group. They're they're fully storyboarded as well. We have, yeah, we have a group. Our production uh, team is fantastic. Well, there's a lot of them. Which our production team (laughs) consists of a pencil, (laughs) a piece of paper, and Tim, who has no input whatsoever. No. (laughs) (laughs) You can can make noise, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Yeah, so No, no, don't apologize. As 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 Ethan has just alluded to, we actually have an extra person in the room with us today. Um go ahead and step up to the mic. You you you've probably heard his voice 
if you've listened to our show before. In fact, he is a regular on our show. He has been, to this point, on every single episode, um, excluding the interview episodes, but on yeah. every episode of Drive Back the Night to yeah. this point. Yes, he has. Uh, could could you please introduce yourself, see if they can... Uh... I'm Tim. Tim Kimmerly. That's right. <laughs> Tim. And if you don't recognize the name, you may at least recognize the voice. Mm -hmm. 22 episodes so far. This is going to be on the internet. Yeah. It it is on the internet. Just edit out my last name. Just for safety reasons. You want to stay off the radar? (laughs) Well, you guys said yours, so I guess that's okay. You guys are still alive. Your your name's been on the internet like 22 times already, (laughs) so. Yeah. I've not signed any waiver for that. I was not notified that would be happening. I, I think this is hilarious because Tim, you have not have you listened to an episode yet of Drive Back the Night? I was just I was just thinking about that in my head, and and I haven't, you know. Um, but before I get smeared here, I did my due diligence. I put in my three minutes of podcast searching. I tried to find it, um, and then after three minutes, I just came to the conclusion. There's just no way to find this show. <laughs> These guys are too obscure. <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, stick around, because at the end of this recording, we're actually going to give all of our contact information and where we can be found on the internet. So go ahead, go grab a piece of paper and you a pencil. You file your taxes every year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, we do. So I, I, I do have to ask this, Tim, because we... we you know, like I said, we we hear your voice every week, and and for those listening, they don't know who you are, just the name and the voice. Tell us, do you listen to podcasts at all? Are you a podcast listener? No. Okay. At- no, I've I've tried. Like I said, um, you apparently have a Windows Phone issue that you you can't get around. <laughs> no, I don't know if it's Windows or not. Uh, I just don't know how to do it. I don't know what they're for. What you guys do, I don't know, and um, a lot of it's an interest issue. There's no interest there. <laughs> this makes finding just, out. just all that more <laughs> compelling an interview, honestly. Um, Andromeda. Have you ever watched an episode of Andromeda? Uh, I think it used to be on after Voyager when I was like 10. So you've at least heard of it. Yeah. No, I've heard of it. I don't know what it's about. I don't remember any episodes. Again, an interest thing. Can you recall any of the actors that may or may not have appeared? Was Conan the Barbarian actor? <laughs> Close Was he the enough. captain? Give the man a cookie. All right. Give the man All right. a cookie. I don't know his name. All right. <laughs> Was that him, though? Am I right? This is so precious. <laughs> I got I to tell you, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> Was I right, though? Just for my sake. Hercules. Yeah. Hercules. Not Conan. Kevin Sorbet. Yeah. Kevin Sorbet. Okay. So, yeah, that is my limit there of knowledge on the Andromeda show. It's actually Kevin Sorbo. Yeah. And, Tim, you would know him from... Disappointed! I actually don't know what that's from. (laughs) Gabriel Fast. That's what I, I thought he made that up. Okay. So, I'm sorry again. Well... Anyway, folks, that is Tim Kimmerly. Let's I'm, give him a slow clap. Slow clap? Oh, that's, is that, that is we're done. Warranted. Warranted. <laughs> oh, no. No, we got like another hour and a half to go. <laughs> uh, but while we got you here on the hook, you going to come back for a second season? Yeah. Yeah, I might. Why not? Okay. We like to hear Again, that. Again, though, mm-hmm. some sort of legal waiver 
some sort of formality. The precedent's already be been set. Okay. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. No, but we we do want to say, because we say thank you at the end of every show. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, I, I thought it would be great just to have you for a few moments on the show, just to kind of hear you're not just somebody reading lines and that's all you ever do. Uh, just to kind of maybe maybe put a little bit of personality behind it. That's all he does on the show. What's that? It is. Just read lines. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. That's what I'm saying. Let's let's give him a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's let him know it's a human being. You know, it's not a, you know, a voice box. It's right. a program to say certain things and make jokes. But no. That's, uh, that's Tim Kimberly. Thank you. We appreciate you, uh, your input for the show. Thanks. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> and that's it, huh? <laughs> Bye, Tim. Well, I thought that he might stick around for uh, the duration of the show. Nope. I guess he had something he had to go do. I, it looks like he was ready to get, yeah. get out of here. So, Tim Kimmerly has Tim. left the building. <laughs> yeah. Short and sweet. Keep yep. it short and sweet. Uh, but we still got a lot of show to do here, Ethan. Yes, we do. Um, let's go ahead and get it kicked off. Let's start out with, uh, you know, we do trivia and fun facts every week. Yeah. And I didn't take a week off. No. No. Even for a whole... You're going to give us... All the trivia for all the episodes for the entire season this week, right? No. No, not even close. Oh. Okay, well, I'm a little confused, because w- what exactly are you going to do for trivia this week just, since we don't have a show? Just some odd stuff that I picked up. Uh, well, let's, let's just do this. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. Lay it on us. Well, the, fir- the first of two things that I had here is I wanted to kind of discuss a little bit about the Nielsen ratings, because that actually had an impact in just the fact that the season got re-upped. That, that we actually did get a second season and subsequent seasons after that. Uh, the Nielsen rating for the premiere during the first season premiered actually around a four, which is really good for the, the type of program it is uh, running in syndication. But then it kind of slacked as the season progressed. Um, among the, the rookie shows that came out around 2001, uh, Andromeda was actually the top of its class. Really? So, yeah, it, it actually... You're talking... Syndication or cable in, in or any network? Yeah. No, 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 no. In, in well, no. Uh, <laughs> of its class in, in sci-fi shows that came out at that time, two thousand one, it was the top-rated new rookie sci-fi show. Oh, okay. It had the highest ratings. Um, it topped with a three point five, um, which was up nine percent from week to week. Uh, it, that was around episode. I think I read fourteen episode fourteen or fifteen. Okay. It hit a three point five, which which was really good. Uh, the only thing higher had been, of course, its premiere around four. But by the end of the first season, the rating had shrunk down to about two point two, two point three. Which, considering where that's at, it was still second amongst all the sci-fi series that were airing at the time. Chief among them at the time, number one being Stargate SG One mm, at the time okay. in two thousand one. Mm-hmm. It had a, a, an average rating of about two point five, two point six, and then Andromeda came in behind it at two point two, two point three on average. Now is is Enterprise included in that group? No, it was not airing. Wait, well, yeah, it was. So I'm not. I'm, I don't. I never saw it in my list. Was Enterprise in syndication or was it on a network? Uh, you know what? It had to have been on a network for it to not show up on this list. But then as I'm saying that, Voyager... No, Voyager was UPN, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It was a network deal. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not exactly clear on how Nielsen ratings work, but this is the information that I looked up on the internet. 
I always just pictured Leslie Nielsen saying, yeah, I like that show. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should. Maybe that's how scientific it, it is. <laughs> it gets an average 2.2 likes from <laughs> Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, let's go with that. But what the, the point being in, in coming up with this is that with it premiering at a 4 and then it having a 3.5 about halfway through its airing mm-hmm. and then averaging a 2.2, 2.3 and staying right behind Stargate, which, of course, had a you know decade-long run. Mm-hmm. Andromeda actually started out really strong mm-hmm. for, for what it was and the publicity that it got and the backing that it got from Tribune. It, it did very well in its first season, and that is why we actually get subsequent seasons of it. Hmm. So I thought that was interesting, just a little bit of the background in that. Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to bring up was we uh, had alluded to it throughout the, the season that we were going to talk about the number of Kamish uh, alums that showed in Andromeda. Mm-hmm. So I went back through IMDb at the entire first season cast list for every episode, and I totaled up the number of alums that have show, have been seen on both the Kamish, which, what was the Kamish? I know we've talked about it before, but let's go through it again for our listeners. All Just right. the ones that might not have heard of it before. The Kamish was a great series that started in about 1992, 93. Did it, was it that late? It was, yeah, yeah. Um, and it ran till 95 or 6. I was believe. it that short? Yeah, well, like three or four seasons. Huh. Okay. And it uh, starred Michael Chiklis, mm-hmm. uh, who we all remember as The Thing from the Fantastic Four movies. But probably more likely you remember him from The Wire. He was actually one of the, the main characters on The Wire. Uh, so The Commish. It, it was a great series. Uh, New York cop show type deal. Um, a lot of the people that were in the cast there that appeared in certain episodes... They later showed up on Andromeda. A total of 18 of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. So quite a See, few. I was thinking, before you, you gave that number, I was going to say, hey, let's let's let's, let's set a, an over-under on this. Oh, sorry. Yeah, and I was going to say 10. Yeah. I was probably going to go under. Yeah? So, yeah. You were way off. Because I thought 10 would be high. Really? Mm-hmm. No. 18. Man. 18 commission alums. Have shown up on Andromeda. And that is why I do not gamble. <laughs> uh, smart man. So yeah, so we uh, we have 18 from the commission that have, that have shown up on Andromeda. Anyway, fun facts. Let's move on. You know, there was one thing that ran throughout this entire first season. It was actually something on every single episode. Do you, do you know what that is that I'm talking about? Well, I think it is. And, and um, I've brought it up in discussions a time or two off off of uh, off air and uh I, I felt like this would be a great time for us to now discuss the title sequence mm-hmm. uh we have that great theme music the high guard march uh, as as we come to find out Which you pointed we, that out we to didn't me. realize that until yeah well, a couple of episodes a few episodes back when we uh we introduced the show we by singing the yeah, yeah. Yeah. the uh the high guard march song um and, and it didn't dawn on me until much later when I was just thinking about the tune of that song, and I was thinking about the the opening, the title sequence of Andromeda, and then it dawned on me, that is the same melody. Yeah, yeah, it is. So, and it was it was funny because you mentioned that, and and I went had to go back and double check because I had read somewhere, and and, and come to find out it was actually on IMDb that uh, Robert Hewitt Wolf, the developer, actually has a lyric credit 
under soundtracks mm-hmm. for the High Guard March, the lyrics for mm-hmm. it. So those lyrics that we sang were actually written by Robert Hewitt Wolf, and that tune mm-hmm. that ultimately became the title sequence, that's the High Guard March. So, yeah. so you're saying that the the lyrics came first and then somebody wrote the music for the title sequence? I don't know that that's how it happened. Okay. My, I, I, my suspicion is that the music already existed. Okay. And Robert Hugh Wolf needed something for an episode, so he came up with those lyrics. Okay. And they just put it to that tune, perhaps. So that that's how how it comes up in my in my mind. But we, we do understand that the developer, Robert Hugh Wolf is responsible for the lyrics of the High Guard March. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which I thought was interesting. But the title sequence itself, there was something interesting that we see in the visual effects. And I brought it up to you and, and figure we might have this discussion. We see the sequence where there's the living planet. It's, mm-hmm. it's a blue, it's like an, an Earth-like planet. And we see it in the initial uh, stages of the title sequence. The camera kind of spins around it, and then we see it from the other side, and it's a completely dead world, a desert world. Mm-hmm. My question was, is that symbolic of the, the death, the, the loss that's taken place because of the fall throughout the galaxies? Is that symbolic of that? Or are we just seeing different planets? You know, um, I have to admit it's a little embarrassing, but I did not notice this at all until you mentioned it. And then the next time I watched Andromeda, I watched for that specifically. And I kind of think that 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 has got to be what it is. It's a. Uh, it's not. They're not. They're not shifting in space, but I think they are shifting in time, in that real quick uh, turn of the planet, and maybe that is also showing just how quickly, you know, it was. It was almost like overnight because that's pretty much what we're getting is well in the galactic space of time. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's virtually a very a short night. Yeah. So I mean, just 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 overnight. Um, the three galaxies just just crumble. Yeah, everything is is vibrant and healthy, and living and wonderful. And then next thing you know, it's all over. Yeah, it's yeah. all darkness. Yeah, that was kind of my read on it too. And I, I was I wanted to bring that up mm-hmm. in discussion just to kind of get that out there. We'd certainly like to hear from uh, listeners. What are your thoughts and opinions on that? Is that symbolic, or are we just reading too much into it? But anyway, I thought that was interesting, and, and it, it occurred to me about halfway through watching this first season uh, that that showed up in the in the main title every time, and I uh, thought I might bring it up. So, uh, yeah, that was our, our thoughts on the, the title sequence. Great title sequence, and, and from what I've seen from this show, it has gotten better throughout this first season, and uh, you know what? Uh, if they bring this title sequence back for the second season or subsequent seasons, and it's the same, it's a great title. I, I like it. Uh, but from what I've seen from the show, if they make an improvement, it, it could only get better. That's the that's all that could happen. Yeah, you would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll find out on when, the next episode. When we start season two. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, that was a title sequence for season one. We know that, and season one is in the books. So let's go ahead and uh, shift our, our discussion now and talk about season one. And... Um, Let's see, I believe it is your turn, Ethan. So why don't you go ahead and give us your reading of your uh, recap of Season 1 of Andromeda. Um, what? Uh, I'm a recap of Season 1. Like, yeah. Like, tell the story of Season 1? Yeah, just, just run down the whole thing. All 22 episodes. This did not come up in the notes. I'm 
not prepared for this. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know I had to spell it out for you. <laughs> I thought you would just know. <clears throat> no. All right. Well, I won't make you do that then. That it probably is quite a tall task. <laughs> go back and listen to the other 22 episodes <laughs> if you want the recap. There you go. All right. Well, let's just hit the high points then, okay? Let's do that. So what do we know about this universe? We have... Uh, starting from the beginning, we have this incredible civilization, the greatest civilization ever known, the Systems Commonwealth, protected by the High Guard. It's overrun by the Nietzscheans, and then the whole thing collapses. But in the middle of that, Captain Dylan Hunt, who is the captain of the starship Andromeda, gets trapped in the event horizon of a black hole, comes out the other side 300 years plus later as uh, the Andromeda is being pulled from the black hole from the salvage ship, the Eureka Maru, captained by Becca Valentine and her crew. Uh, this was all commissioned by a little ferret Weasley guy that I just can't stand, Jaren Tex. Captain Hunt convinces this uh, salvage crew, along with a mercenary that was also hired by Jaren Tex the Weasel, uh, to go ahead and join his crew instead of stealing his ship, and to help him in reestablishing the Commonwealth, which is now completely fallen and dead. The three galaxies are in complete chaos and disarray, overrun by Nietzscheans and Magog, and uh, we get to follow them uh, throughout the season as they try to sign worlds onto the Commonwealth Charter, facing villains and foils along the way. And all of that work, and we got six worlds. Yeah. <laughs> By the yeah. end of the first season. Yeah. Which we we, we did poke fun at that. But <laughs> but yeah, Six World. I guess that is better than none at all. Yeah. Yeah. It, at least you have a base, some bases of operations with, with which to operate a ship like Andromeda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, try to think more positively. You know, think the, the glass is 12% 12% full. full. All right. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we see the season pretty much wraps up with the Andromeda file being unlocked and a, uh, a backup personality of Rami uh, becomes activated and then she, she goes nuts and takes them all on a, a crazy ride out into deep Magog space where they encounter the Magog world ship. And the Magog there are being uh, led by some sort of mysterious energy being creature that we've seen hints of throughout the season. And now all of the crew appears to be uh, dead or captured, otherwise compromised. Everyone is in a very, 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 very bad situation. They're, they're either incapacitated captured or pinned to a wall yeah <laughs> that's pretty much what we've got going on yeah and uh you know i there's there's a few details that were left out but pretty much that's season one would, yeah. would you agree yeah and i think what that lends itself in actually recapping the season really comes down to the the characters themselves mm -hmm. what have we learned about our characters and if you can if you can discuss them you, you kind of essentially recapped uh, this entire first season because that's that's really what this is about is getting to know them on the ship mm -hmm. okay well you know what let's just go through it let's let's talk about dylan hunt well without getting uh, too much into it we know dylan is very devoted to his high guard career came out of uh, essentially black ops operations and inherited andromeda the the captaincy there uh he had a very close uh first officer that had kind of come up with him and eventually became his best friend, uh, Gaharis Rade. 
and uh, and and so that was where we meet him with Gaharis by his side, but he's betrayed by Gaharis. Uh, who happens to be? Oh, who happens to be a Nietzschean? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. So obviously that's going to affect Dylan going forward, and we see that throughout the first season. He has kind of a uh, a love hate relationship with with Nietzscheans because of his own personal experience with them. Uh, we know he was uh, he was going to be married to to Sarah, uh, a scientist, and and we as we later learn, uh, she did not give up in trying to find him when he disappeared uh, three hundred years ago. And fortunately, he kind of gets to make his peace with her because of the the time dilation and talking through the wormhole that he had been trapped in for so long that she was looking for him around. So that was neat to, to that he gets a chance to say goodbye. He gets to kind of set his feet in this galaxy 300 years later. And now he is, sets about this task of reestablishing the Commonwealth. We see he's driven. We see that this is something that's extremely important to him. And he inspires those around him to want to do the same. But uh, he has a hard time with just these these few characters that are on his boat with him, he has a hard time, you know, wrestling their different needs and wants. But I think from all of this, we have seen that Dylan is a very capable captain, a very capable leader. Um, he has his drawbacks, and he has his reservations about certain cultures like the Nietzscheans. But all in all, he is a very strong leader. And I think that is ultimately what we learn about him in in this first season. Very capable. Yeah, we know a um, few specific details uh, as far as his uh, his background. He was from Tarn Vedra, which is now cut off from all civilization. It's been cut off from the slipstream. They can't find it. He knows he he has a longing to go back home, but he knows he can't. Um, he was raised there. His mother was a heavy worlder, so he has that in his genetics, so he is um, stronger than the average human. And so, I mean, I think that kind of plays into his physical ability mm-hmm. uh, not to be outweighed by his uh, his his intellect and his strategic ability. Yeah. And then, you know, he's also now in this universe complemented well, I think, by his first officer. Yeah. Uh, Becca Valentine. Now, she was the captain of the Eureka Maru, the very ship that actually pulled the Andromeda and Dylan out of the event horizon of the black hole. Um, she was in it for money, but then she found herself uh, on this on this starship and mm, not really so much crazy about Dylan's cause, but definitely into the whole idea of uh, three hots and a cot. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, pretty nice place to stay. And, uh, she has a, a pretty tough background. She's a, she's a tough person and she's, she's a very good leader in her own right. And she has a lot of experience behind her. Um, a very tough life that she's lived through. Um, a lot of, uh, difficulties with her family, her father and her uncle Sid were, uh, basically drug runners, criminals, um, and her brother was kind of a deadbeat. Yeah, and all kind of hiding beside, behind the, I don't want to say facade, because they actually did make a living of uh, transporting cargo. and, and They were into logistics. Yeah, yeah, but there was also a lot more shady stuff going Import, on. Import, export. Yeah, and I think uh, uh, Becca has tried to uh, shield herself from a lot of that stuff, but she can't get away. 
um, specifically the the Flash, which is a very highly addictive drug in the Andromeda universe, um, used by some of the ones in her family, uh, specifically her father. And we see throughout this episode that's something that she comes to have a a difficulty with mm-hmm. is this this flash and an, an addiction. Yeah, and, and of all of the characters, I think Becca is probably one of the more interesting. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say most interesting yet because we really haven't talked about all of them just yet. But I think she has one of the more compelling story arcs that we see throughout this first season. I I, I say most interesting because you you pair her up with somebody like Tira Anasazi. Mm-hmm. And, and here we have somebody that is a mercenary. He is Nietzschean, so he is very self-motivated for preservation, which works into the mercenary role quite well. Uh, my wife, in watching a few episodes with me, asked the question, why is Tyr there? <laughs> and, and, you know, early on, Tyr is, is so out for himself that that is the same question that I asked myself early on in the first season. And yet we start to get bits of his story of, you know, his pride being decimated, destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the by, Kodiak pride. Yeah, betrayed by other, you know, uh, Nietzschean prides. Mm-hmm. And so he has issues with that. He's obviously got a score to settle, and he's working very diligently to set things up so that he can be in a position to get revenge. And so that that leads us down the road, so like, like with the episode uh, Music of a Distant Drum, uh, that allows us to be able to, to see a little more detail into how he's setting this up, this revenge. He gets the body of Drago Musevni, which his family, his pride used to hold. Mm-hmm. They used to have status because they had his remains. Well, now he's stolen it back from the Drago Kassoff. So that's obviously going to come into play later on. So we got to, we got to learn a little bit of, of detail in that. Um, he has a problem with authority. And yet at the same time, he respects the authority that Dylan demonstrates. And I thought that's why I said earlier, Dylan is a very capable leader. And I think Tyr recognizes that. Otherwise, Tyr wouldn't stay on the ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there is, while there is tension between him and Becca and him and Dylan, he has kind of found his place on Andromeda. And he gets to play the foil. He gets to play a uh, bad cop at times. But at the, at the same time, uh, you can really see how he has integrated in with the rest of this crew throughout this first season to the point where when we finished the season, we felt bad for him and Harper both. Um, they had great moments together, as we talked about mm-hmm. last week. Uh, they have a mutual respect for one another. And now they're in the position of being Magog food. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and we feel bad for the both of them b- being in that position here at the end of season one. Tyr had a lot of growth and we get a lot of his story throughout this first season. And I think he is a a very compelling character as well. And passing on your genes and being the superior uh, everything is everything to the Nietzscheans. And Tyr actually had the opportunity to to do this early on in the season in Double Helix. Uh, There they encountered the Orca Pride where he actually took a mate. He took a wife and he actually conceived a child with his wife there. Now, what what ends up happening with that, I think, is something that we need to look forward to because all we know at this point is that she was given the option whether or not to, to raise this child 
or to not raise a child, not keep the child. It was it was a very matrixy moment. You can take the red pill or the blue pill, <laughs> yeah, or the red vial or the blue vial, whatever it was, yeah. But, but I mean, yeah, but that's something that uh, is is just it's still up in the air. We haven't really heard anything else about that. So you kind of got to you got to wonder, you know, what's what's going on there? Does does he have uh, does he have progeny somewhere running around out there on a drift? Or or not. Then we have Trans Gemini, who is of course a um, from the planet purple. <laughs> yeah, purple. I guess if you were to to ask, what do we know about Trance? The easy answer is she has a tail. Nothing. <laughs> okay, there we go. Yeah, yeah, we know that. Yeah, we do know something. She has a tail, but she she's kind of you figure she's kind of the wild card. She's the one that we don't really know much about, but you just have this feeling that there's so much more to her than what we're given so far, and I think that's definitely by design. We are given to know that there's a lot we don't know, if that makes any sense at all. Yes. Okay. So anyway, yeah, Trans Gemini, she's, she's purple and she has a tail. She seems to know more about what's going on than she lets on. Um, sometimes she kind of seems a little bit wild card. Other times it's a little more puppet master. Uh, seems to have an idea of what's going to happen before it happens, or she's good at really lucky guesses. Um, almost a little too lucky sometimes. Yes. And what I, what I what I like about it is, by the time she's called out on it, we got when we first meet her, and through the first few episodes, she's labeled cute, and that and that's what we get. Mm-hmm. Is she's a cute character. And yeah, there's some odd things about her. But the episode that takes place on Mobius, and I forget the name of that episode. Um, Forced Perspective. Forced Perspective. Look at you. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, so in Forced Perspective, that changes. The cute goes away. And, And Dylan realizes, I have someone here that isn't just making lucky guesses. They're seeing alternate possibilities. And they're making choices based on seeing more than what the average person is able to see. And and I think that really gives Trance a depth of character that makes her something uh, far more interesting and possibly something to be reckoned with later on as we get more, uh, as we learn more about uh, what and who she is. Well, and we've also already learned that uh, she can take care of herself. She has this, this look and this appearance of being very dainty and fragile. Uh, you back her into a corner... It's bad news for you. Yeehaw. And yeah, yeehaw is something you do not want to hear from <laughs> Trance. If you're on the bad end of a yeehaw, yeah. And, you know, she's 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 close with the crew. Uh, it seems like she's especially close with, uh, with the engineer, Seamus Harper. Yes. And so Seamus, to me, is, is also uh, somebody that we, we get to learn a lot about. And, and he starts out, obviously, he, he, he grew up on Earth. During the Magog invasion, Magog and Nietzschean invasions, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's seen kind of the bad side of both. He doesn't like either. But if he's going to choose between the two, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it seems like he would choose Magog over Nietzscheans. Because as he said, Nietzscheans are at least part human, and humans are the worst. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
as sadly, what we see in Harper in a few episodes is he has some of that worse in him. He is very capable of doing bad things. Mm -hmm. It isn't what he wants to do. It's just what he's grown up with and what he's been forced to do at times. And I think that makes him a very interesting character. He likes to surf, though. Yeah. Can't say anything bad about that. I mean, he's a, he's he's a, a he's competition. A competition surfer. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and he's also a great engineer. Mm-hmm. And he might think a little too highly of himself at times. Uh, maybe a little self-confident in that regard. Overly yeah. confident. But, I mean, he always seems to pull it off, though. And, of course, let's not forget one important detail about Harper, which fascinates me personally. He's got that data port on the back of his neck. Yes. He can just plug right into a computer. That's true. Speaking of computers, we also know he's great with his hands. Because, mm-hmm. as we know, he put together Rami. Rami, who uh, who is the ship-made flesh of Andromeda. Now, I guess here it starts to get a little tricky, because are we talking about Rami, the... The ship made flesh, the android, or are we talking about Rami, well, the that... starship herself? Because um, they're they're one, they're all one in the same. That really is the the kind but of they're the, all different. The eternal question yeah. now is that it's it's becoming the eternal question for the season, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is that and the slipstream. But you know what? We'll we'll get to that later. Rami is an artificial intelligence. And she is programmed to be a warship. So, of course, she's tough. Uh, She can be sarcastic and catty. She doesn't take anything from anybody. Um, Then we find out Rami really develops a lot through the first season. You start out with basically an avatar that is pretty much just an extension of the ship. And then um, grows into its, its own being in a way and uh by the towards the end of the season she even uh falls in love and becomes extremely emotional uh is unable to separate her emotion from her duty and it it actually becomes troublesome for the mission for the crew but in the end she has to make the hard decision and actually kill Gabriel the one that she loves and also kind of starting out with an idea that there's a uh, that there's a romantic interest in Dylan and this sort of a love is forbidden under the commonwealth policy that whole idea kind of seems to go away after about you know, the first half of the season we really don't revisit that anymore yeah, but it is alluded to uh, Becca starts asking questions. Do we have an on- onboard romance? Obviously, Tyr doesn't get what she's asking. But, you know, people are seeing it, and people are asking the question. It, which is kind of interesting as we get down toward the end of the season, because it does kind of go away. Mm-hmm. And, and Rami does gain interest in other beings you know, with Gabriel. Um, and really, it is it makes her a very interesting character, because her programming is quite simple. She has a ship to take care of and battles to fight and processes to take care of, you know, in day to day, keeping the ship going. And so her role in this show and in in this environment, in this universe is very defined. And yet, as we progress through the season, it becomes more and more and more complicated Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and interconnected with the other characters. And to the point that we have more questions about her really than any of the other characters. 
Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I mean, the other characters, you kind of have, uh, you pretty much know who they are. You maybe have some questions about what their motives really are, say, like, Tyr. Um, honestly, to me, kind of even Becca, just a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you, you figure you kind of you kind of know who everyone is. But Rami, it's just one of the, I just keep banging my head against the wall trying to figure out the three different persona of 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 andromeda so you know we've we've talked about it countless times on on this podcast you have the on-screen the hologram and the avatar yeah they're all supposed to be one and the same but obviously they're not yeah speaking of banging your head against the wall Mm -hmm. let's talk about the character voted most likely to have banged their head against the wall okay because it looks like it (laughs) rev bin that's an awful segue, but I'm going to go with I was going to say it. he probably banged his head against a cave wall <laughs> because he looks like a bat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, Revbim. We have the spiritual leader, the conscience, the, the, the central character. And I think of all the characters that I feel closest to, I think it's Rev. Because he is such a breath of fresh air. He can, in any moment, be exactly what is needed for whoever uh, he's with. You know, if you need a sounding board, if Dylan need, has a moral question like he did in uh, Angel Dark Demon Bright, uh, Rev's there to help him to to get through the moral conundrum that he's in of killing thousands of Nietzscheans, even though it's already happened, <laughs> you know. But, but Dylan understands the weight of it, and Rev helps him to understand that. Becca has problems with uh drug addiction drug abuse rev is there to help her uh, harper has a problem with magog <laughs> and rev is there to help him to 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 find to center himself so that he can deal with the anxiety that he's feeling we see rev really take on that role of of counselor and and he does an excellent job in it it's it's an excellent character and then he's got his own foibles he's got his own issues that he has to deal with and uh, it, it was a lot of fun to see him progress through those and see him in different situations and now it looks as though at the end of the season he might not be coming back mm-hmm. he, he has been led away from the way mm-hmm. and and now he's on the world ship and who knows what he's going to learn there and how that's going to affect him yeah i think rev bim he's definitely one of the characters who as as high up as you would want to hold him for being a spiritual leader, he seems to be one of the more flawed characters. And it, and I, I would don't agree to an extent. I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way. Okay. Okay. Um, but he's not one of these spiritual leaders that just seems to have it all together. True. True. He makes it very well known that he has struggles. Yes. He's got these things. That he deals with every single day, like not eating his friends. <laughs> I mean, you think you've got temptations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of these characters are flawed. Um, and, and I think that's kind of what makes it interesting, is you don't have this cast full of uh, perfect first season of Star Trek Next Generation <laughs> cast, you know, everyone gets along perfectly, and it's just what villain do we have to face this week? Right. There's a lot of you. You you, you say a lot of times, 
uh, and I quote, this was another ship in the bottle episode. And it's true. This season has had a lot of ship in the bottle episodes where they don't leave the Andromeda. But I don't think that that can happen with a crew that fits so well together. Yeah. There has to be these these differences like you have in the, the, you have to have these flaws in the characters. Yeah. Uh even even Dylan has his flaws. And this is the one that's supposed to be the the most perfect of of ever he, he's commonwealth he is high guard i mean that's as good as you can get right i mean that's a yeah. relic from the golden age past yeah and i think that's interesting you do bring that up and and i guess i do have to agree with you he is the most flawed because if he can't get it right the rest of the crew dies <laughs> <laughs> so there's the, there's a, there's more of an edge with him mm-hmm. when you think about it and, and yet he really comes across as being more grounded than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And, and he's there for everyone else. But yeah, you compare that with, with what he has to wrestle with. He really, he does have it together better than everyone else. Because if he didn't, mm-hmm. somebody's breakfast. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. And somebody's a host for his eggs. Yes. So that's um, our characters. Yeah, pretty much. So I that mean, kind of, kind of recaps what yeah. we've, we've seen out of him out of this first There's season. a little... A uh, carousel of other uh, reoccurring characters, and I'm sure we'll see m- more of them we'll as, as the seasons go them. on. But yeah, as of right now, we don't know a whole lot about the rest of them. This is this is really the core, and that's pretty much what we've learned. I have some questions though. Okay, about first season. Okay, uh, right. call it loose ends. Okay, and, and I'd like to get your impression. Are we going? Is this something that we need to remember going forward? With this, with subsequent seasons, or is this something that we can just forget now? And in, in, now that we're done with the first season, okay. The first thing I had was, um, well, you mentioned Tyr and his wife. We know he got married. We know they, she was pregnant, mm-hmm. and, and so you mentioned that. So we're, we're we're going to revisit that at some point in the future, right? I mean, that is why you bring that up. Are you wanting a yes or no answer? Yeah, here? just a simple yes or no. Is that okay. something that we need to remember? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. And that's kind of what I'm looking for okay. in these loose ends. Yes or no? Do we need to remember this or not? Okay. Now, before you keep asking me these questions, I do want to say it is true that I have seen the entire series all the way through, and you have not. So that's why you're asking me these questions. Um, that doesn't mean that my memory is perfect <laughs> on all of these. So you may ask me something that I would have to honestly say I don't remember. So I'm kind of watching this for the first time again along with you. Okay. Yeah. All right. But but yeah, that that is yeah. Well, these are really just kind of high points from okay. from the season that I could recall okay. just in in this watch through. And I just kind of wanted to bounce it off of you. Is this something that we need to carry with us in subsequent seasons? The second thing I come to is resters. Are is that story arc done? Cuz with the destruction of Balance of Judgment and the death of Gabriel, that was the head. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. They they cut the head off the snake. Does the body die, or do are we going to revisit this later on? Uh, let's say uh, the body twitches. It twitches. <laughs> okay. So so keep resters in in mind, huh? Not really. Not really. No. No. <laughs> it's you know it, it's like when you squash a bug and the legs kind of keep moving a little bit. Mm-hmm. The bug's dead. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Enough said. Okay. Uh, Rafe. It, it, he he left. 
he seemed to have turned over a new leaf. Uh, Becca's brother, I'm mm-hmm. referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we hear mention of him later on. Well, it, actually, in that episode, the, uh, the, 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 he, he's still working with the, 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 free, the, trade. the free Trade Alliance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are we going to see him again? Are we, are we going to hear about him in subsequent episodes? Are we done with Rafe? I can honestly say I don't remember. Okay. Okay. And going forward now, mm-hmm. we have this world ship, and we have this imminent peril to the galaxies and the reestablished Commonwealth. What's going to be more important in, in the subsequent, in this next season or two or three or four? Is it going to be the reestablishment of the Commonwealth, or is it going to be taking care of this world ship? How do I say this without being too much of a spoiler? Um, I will say the season started out, season one started out with the whole story arc being the reestablishment of the system's commonwealth. And then what we have here at the end with the Magog world ship and this strange energy being that, 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 that seems to be controlling the Magog, it's, it's really going to take forefront as uh, the overall story arc. The reestablishment and the growth of the system Commonwealth does not end here. Okay. Um, in fact, if anything, you could say it's it's even more important. I mean, you see this, this thing coming, y- you need to team up, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And without getting too far ahead and too, too far into the series, it, it's safe to say that if Dylan and his crew manage to get out of this at the beginning of the second season, and the show goes five seasons, so <laughs> I'm just yeah, they get out they of this. Get out of it. All right, <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you how. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tune in next time. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's it it kind of it kind of starts to coalesce into a a common story arc where the two kind of start to work together i was gonna say and that's from my impression of of what little bit of the second season i saw it does seem like it now it dovetails Mm -hmm. you it isn't just just reestablishing the commonwealth because it's one man's dream to establish order again it becomes we need to reestablish the commonwealth so that we have a line of defense Mm -hmm. (laughs) to to counter this great threat that is coming i'm just curious as we keep going into the second season and in the subsequent seasons if it's not dealt with at the end of the second um just how much is how much does this world ship uh affect the establishment of the commonwealth but you're saying it 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 meshes together quite nicely yeah okay well that that's what i wanted to know just by way of loose ends that we've things we've seen introduced in this first season i'm curious are we going to revisit them in subsequent seasons is Mm -hmm. it something to remember Right. That's what I wanted to cover. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's important. It's an important question. And part of the frustration is there are a lot of things that happen that were supposed to have carried over into subsequent seasons. But uh, because of the loss of Robert Hewitt Wolf from the from the staff, you know, they they sort of have lost their way. Uh, and then some things just kind of fell by the wayside and things that were supposed to have been immensely important turned out to be not important at all. Yeah. And we never well, revisit them. Which we've them. discussed that. Uh, yeah. Even in this first season. Right. So. I mean, you know, because, yeah, because you, you, you had mentioned before um, about things like the consensus of parts. Mm-hmm. You know, wow, that would have been cool. 
but we'll never see that again. Yeah. It's done. That was supposed to have been part of the end, you know? Yeah. But, no. And, and there, I could go on, but there's there's so many things that we've already seen that were supposed to have been part of something much bigger that we're never going to see again. So that's season one. Yeah, that's season one of Andromeda. And it's also season one of Drive Back the Night. Yes, it is. And uh, you know what? There's There's been a lot of work, a lot of uh, sweat, and a lot of tears. T- tears? T-E-A-R-S. Okay. <laughs> not, not Tear Anasazi. Okay. It's bad pun night on Drive <laughs> Back the Night. But, uh, you know, I mean, we... We've we've been at this now for uh, well since November, late November. Yeah. So how long has that been? I haven't even counted the. Uh, it's like seven months now. Has it really? Yeah, it's been seven months. Wow! So every week for the last seven months, hey, it's it's been a lot of hard work, but it's been a lot of fun for yes, a couple of uh, amateur podcasters like ourselves. Yep. Uh, we can readily admit we're not professionals. No, not even close. Yeah, but. Uh, we listen to a lot of podcasts. Yes, we do. And one thing that we have discussed is that the, the the production quality of a podcast, it can make podcasters sound a lot better than they actually are. Yeah. And even maybe if they're good podcasters, if the if the production quality is not that good, eh, it can make them... We, we listen... I've listened to podcasts where they, they literally set an iPhone down on a table in front of them, and they push record... They record the conversation, and then they upload it right onto the internet. There is no editing. There is no production at all. And for the vast majority of the time, it they are miserable to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to name names, No, are you? no, okay, no, I'm no, not. Right. Yeah, because there are some of these I actually very much enjoy the podcast. I really like the content. But the production quality is very difficult to listen to, and we're not professionals, but we try very hard to make our podcast easy to listen to. Yeah. And I hope that we're doing a good job. I, I feel like we should lift the veil a little bit. Yeah, maybe kind of let people see behind the curtain what what things really look... Okay, um, what we're going to play for you right now, this is uh, from an earlier episode. This is just Ethan and I trying to get through... Uh, a conversation on the podcast. Um, so I, I was, let's see, what was it? That, I, I can't remember the, what the notes. Okay. So, um, okay. So anyway, the guy comes on to the, the, um, to the bridge or not the bridge. Um, the, um, command station. Yeah. The command, command station, command station. Yeah. The command station, so, um, you know who I'm talking about. The main one, the um, that, the Hercules guy. The, oh yeah, uh, um, Tyr. No, so not not yeah, Ke- Kevin. Yeah, but he's no, but his Car- character. Carl. What's his character? Oh oh, um, Bob. Uh, uh, Bob D- Dylan. Bob, Bob Dylan. Hunt. Bob Hunt. D- Dylan. Right. So anyway, yeah. Um, remember? Well, I know Dylan, uh, Captain. Captain Dillon comes on to the, the command bridge, and he's like... Hold on, can you start over it? Because I zoned out for just a second there. You were talking about Bob, right? Coming on to the, to the station. Right, Bob comes on, Bob comes on the, the, the bridge, and 
because he wants to know. Well, yeah, and, and like um, Seamus was telling him some some weird story, and then oh, uh, who's the corn? Not cornrows. What's the guy with no, the nappy that's, hair? That's, um, oh, yeah the um, the big guy. Yeah the the big guy with the must the mustache thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, Dylan he comes on the bridge and he's like. It, tell me the story about what happened, you know, 300 years ago, because I was, like, asleep or something. I mean, and then they both, I, like, tell him the story. I guess we, I mean, don't really know and if he was asleep. Didn't they say something about, like, witches or something? I mean, that was, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I was, I, like, on my second bottle of scotch. I don't, I didn't, I don't know if I even watched the episode all the way through. I'm just, I'm just going on memory from the first time I saw it. Back in, back in two thousand one. Okay, let's just cut it there. <sighs> I've got a hard job. I have to edit this, and this is what I deal with every single week. Is I have to take these conversations and I try. I have to try to make them sound like something halfway intelligible. So, so I take them all. I put them on my computer and I cut and paste and I try to put everything together. Take out all of the long gaps and the us and the and the us and what and everything and the silence of us just, just sitting here trying to figure out what we're supposed to say next. And then usually we come up with something like this next clip. And that's when Captain Hunt comes back onto the command deck, and he's got a lot of questions that he needs answered right now. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, looking forward into that, I really enjoyed the dichotomy between uh, Harper and Tyr in telling the story of what happened at the Battle of Witchhead. I mean, I, I thought it was very interesting seeing the differences and how the two related their perspective in history. I thought it was very well told. So, uh, yeah, as you can see, usually our raw audio lasts about two and a half, three hours, and I'm able to condense it down into usually about an hour by cutting out all of the uh, the non-essential blank space. And a good job. You do a good job with it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that, Ethan. That means a lot. But we aren't without our bloopers, are we? No, no. That that, that may have been an extreme case. <laughs> Perhaps a little staged? Maybe. But, uh, <laughs> but the truth is... They always, you know, they always come out uh, just, just squeaky clean and crystal clear. Uh, well, for the most part. For the most part, we we do have our problems, definitely. And so, with the magic of editing, you don't hear a lot of these things that we're about to play for you now. You ready for some bloopers? Let's hear some blooper reels. All right, yeah. The Nietzscheans hit the Andromeda with the plasma cannon, and the usual ship with the usual ship. I made up a word. I'm having trouble with it. (laughs) So, Ryan, why don't you tell us about Angel Dark, Demon Bright? Because it's your turn to give the recap. Crap. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, you paused and looked down and I was just like, no. Oh, he's he's getting set for his summary. No. No. No, my I was, bad. <laughs> I was just working on. I was working on the transition. Yeah, Neil. Easy to have him. I'm done. <laughs> okay. I'm ready for my line, sir. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. And we welcome you back to. What's the name of it? <laughs> wow. Thanks. Sorry. Geekly Retro. No, no, it's not. Nope. No. Okay.
Only those born guilty recognize innocence for what it is, the rarest thing in the universe. I said universe. We are an Age of Geek production, and we hope that you will enjoy us. Why do I do it every single time? You know, I mean, if I were to go back through and clip out every single mistake and blooper and mess up that we have, I mean... It would just be, uh, it would be a two-hour show just of, uh, uh, <laughs> mess-ups. A lot of the time, yeah. Yeah, but uh, through the magic of editing. You have what you're listening to. Yeah, and you know what? We're not immune. Yeah. You know, we also had a little bit of Tim in there. Yeah, so the, the bloopers, they happen. They yeah. happen. Um, but, you know, we, we put a lot of effort into the show, and, and I think it shows. I'm very proud of, of being a part of this. Um. I, I'm also extremely proud of the work that you've done, Ryan, actually, to, to put this show together and to make it uh, the full production that it is. Well, I appreciate that. And specifically what I'm getting at is, uh, as you all know, you, you hear the, the title music at the opening at the end of every show. And what I think is great is it, Ryan didn't just go out and find some clip. Well, now the first few episodes... You did find some clips on the internet that you mm-hmm. use for, for title music until you could produce a title, and, and which you did. And, and so if, you, if you've ever noticed on our website in the credits, you'll notice that our main title is titled... The Veteran Groove. Yeah. Yeah. The Veteran Groove, which I think is pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and that is put together by none other than Ryan Masako. You, you composed and, and, and put that together and recorded it. And I think that's fantastic. That you were able to to put your your musical talent uh, to work and actually give us uh, give, give the show its identity. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's not it's not as clean as I would like it to be, but I I wanted it to be something that was that was us. Yeah, and for various reasons. One was because I'm I I think of myself as a creative person, so I kind of wanted to uh, to put that as part of our show. And so that's why I, I wrote that music and, 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 uh, recorded it. And also, you know, there's always legalities that could possibly be involved when you're using someone else's music and the band who performed the music for our first four episodes. Um, they're, they're also credited on our website on Podbean, um, Antithic and, they were gracious enough to allow us to use their music, and they even gave us their blessing to continue using it. Hmm. Um, but it was kind of one of those things that I felt like, you know, if this is something that we can do on our own... We should do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, it was just kind of one of those things that, uh, sort of halfway on a whim, I, I, took, in, I took an evening... And uh, recorded the the different tracks, the guitar, the bass, the synthesizers, and drums and things, and and mixed it all together. And uh, that yeah, and, and and we got an identity out of it. I think we got a great title, title sequence, well, title music, you. and 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 I enjoy listening to it when it starts. Uh, whenever I listen to the playbacks after the, the week or so it comes out, uh, it's always great. It's always great to hear when I hear that music. I know, hey, it's it's the Andromeda discussion, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's great to hear. And I just wanted to, to take a moment and say thank you for for your contribution to to putting the show together. Well, thank you. All right, you ready to get serious? Let's do this and really get down and dirty with some stuff here because we have we have had an ongoing discussion 
throughout this season, especially in the latter part of the season. Of course, there's the discussions about AI and the nature of Rami, which we have just beat that horse to death. Yeah. And still come out with no definitive answers. Not yet. And then the other subject that uh, kind of we treat the same way is the subject of Slipstream. Yes. What in the world is Slipstream? Now, of course, we have discussed this on the show almost ad nauseum, but I, I think we, we have probably said about all there is that we can say about it. Yes. Fortunately, throughout this last week... Um, we've had some pretty good feedback from the listeners, kind of given some uh, some different points of view, some different insights as to the the nature of Slipstream. Ethan, you, you want to you you've been fielding these emails, so you want to kind of give us an idea of what uh, some some of the listeners are thinking. Sure. Yeah. Well, the first one that we got was from Mike Crate, and he's a listener uh, that uh, emailed into us. He's also the host of a Stargate podcast, mm-hmm. uh, the Gatecast. Uh, so if you haven't, uh, if you're a Stargate fan, uh, go check them out out of the Gatecast. We'll give them a shout out right now. Um, but uh, Mike did email us in with his uh, thoughts on Slipstream. the The thing that I took out of his uh, email was that he 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 kind of honed in on the fact that it's a a, a strange and convoluted path, and uh, the, that's kind of the thing that I had the problem with. But the way he kind of explained it in his email was that you know. It's not a direct path from A to B to C to all the way down to Z, wherever you're trying to get to. But the, the fact that there are shortcuts, there's, there's alleys and things like that. And he kind of brought that out in his email. Um, in thinking of slipstream or slip space as a, a structure with all these little tangents and connections. And, uh, you know, so I, I appreciated his email on that and kind of helping me to see that, you know, it, it, is, it is what it sounds like. It is very convoluted. And can be difficult to navigate, and would require the skill of a uh, a pilot to be able to uh, to be able to to get through it. And then we had uh, another email listener, Nathan McCartney, and he actually had an even more in depth and detailed email that I really appreciated. In fact, uh, his was quite a bit more scientific (laughs) Mm -hmm. in his explanation in 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 quantum mechanics and and the way the, the universe is tangled together and that he had a great analogy in that if you think of a field and you're trying to get to different points on the other side of the field there are paths and some of those paths are are better traveled than others and if you take an unbeaten path well just in the simple fact that you go over it, it becomes a little bit more beaten and so the next ship that goes through it can navigate a little bit easier through that path and I thought that was a great analogy, and it helped me to kind of understand a little bit better about how Slipstream might function. And that, you know, the, the popular routes are easy for pilots to navigate. But further away from the more well-traveled paths, uh, it becomes more difficult for the pilot to, to get the ship to go through slip space or Slipstream. And so I thought that was a... a a pretty good explanation. Uh, helped me to kind of understand what we've seen in, the, in a few episodes. But then I, I thought it was interesting. You actually emailed Robert Hewitt Wolf, and we got a response from him. Mm-hmm. And, and his his explanation was pretty simple <laughs> and pretty pretty much to the point. I, I love, and I'm going to quote him from the email here. He says, "Setting a course for X would mean taking uh, a series of known slipstream routes that will most likely get one from here to there." 
in a mostly predictable amount of time until they don't. (laughs) So we're going to encounter problems in navigating the slipstream. That's just inherent. Why? Well, his next sentence kind of determines it. His short answer is slipstream travel takes as much time as the plot requires. Mm-hmm. And I think we get down to the heart of why we have a problem with slipstream because it kind of gets adjusted for the story. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard. It's harder for us to look at slipstream compared to warp drive because warp drive has been hammered out in multiple series mm-hmm. and they all kind of follow the same basic rules. Now they have broken those at times, but for the most part you can you can anticipate what warp drive is and how mm-hmm. it functions. Slipstream in this first season has just been kind of altered to whatever the plot needed. <laughs> and so it kind of throws a monkey wrench into a, the perfect explanation of what it is. And you know, that's the nature of storytelling in in some in some television shows and I think that's that's what ultimately what we're left with here. Okay. So I guess then the question is, do we have an answer then? No. (laughs) Not a definitive one. Yeah. But from the emails that we've gotten from a couple of our listeners, Mm -hmm. I think we have a a good working uh, theory Mm -hmm. of how Slipstream could work Mm -hmm. in this universe that's been created. Yeah. Ultimately, though, it is probably going to get changed at some point in the future. As plot dictates, <laughs> is what it sounds like is going to happen, at least according to the show's developer. But in any case, uh, great to hear from uh, the listeners that wrote in. Uh, we really appreciate Robert Hewitt-Wolf taking a few moments to, to write us about the subject matter as well. And uh, great, great hearing from all of y'all that, yeah. that did write in. We appreciate that. That was really fantastic. I mean, um, of course, Robert Hewitt-Wolf earlier in the season actually sat with us for about an hour on the phone. And we were able to interview him, and uh, it was really nice to hear from the listeners. You know, we we made the call, and, and, and people they stepped up to the plate. Yeah, yeah. So good for you, listeners. All right, Ethan. Um, I thought maybe this would be a good time since we've seen all of the first season. We've discussed it in depth. Uh, I thought maybe it'd be fun if we uh, pick a best and worst. Of season one. Oh, I like this. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Now, you only get to pick one for each <sighs> category. Okay. All I right. can do this. Okay. Okay. So, I guess let's do uh, let's do worst first. Okay. All right. So, what is the worst episode of season one? Okay. Ethan, I, can, I can name mine. Do I have to give a reason why? You don't have to. It'd be really nice if you did. Okay, I'm going to try to. Okay. okay. Uh, the first one that came to my mind for worst was D-0. Okay. I had a real problem with this episode because it, it came out of place. Mm-hmm. In, in To me, in watching the show, it came out of place. Mm-hmm. We didn't know enough about our characters. And yes, we got we've, we learned what the resters were and why they attacked Andromeda. But... We didn't when we watched the episode. Mm-hmm. It just came out of left field. It's the fourth episode in. We don't know enough about our characters. We get to learn a little bit about them in it. And I think I remember from the conversation, we did kind of take away a few pointers about the crew. But that's really all we got out of that episode. It mm-hmm. just so early on and having watched season one already and then revisiting it for our discussion, I still feel like I don't know where this episode 
was coming from. Right. And you say it seemed out of place because it was, it was out, out of place. place. Yes. Uh, we, we regressed, actually. This was episode should have been the third episode, which in some ways makes more sense, but in other ways makes less sense. Yeah. Because, like you said, we don't know the characters enough yeah. to be in the situations that they're in. It's like, in. wait, didn't they introduce an, uh, an android the last episode? And yeah. Where did it go, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Is it recharging in the closet? Right, right. <laughs> and then, you know, the episode before in Too Loose, The Fateful Lightning, it seemed like they're all getting along quite well. Yeah. Um, but, but then... All of a sudden, D minus zero is just... We have conflict. There's square one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what what happened? Yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, D minus zero is kind of... That's the... That gets the worst marks, in okay. my opinion. Okay. And it was on my short list of, of bad episodes. Okay. So what is yours? I had to go with Fear and Loathing in the Milky Way. <laughs> Because it's a Gerontix episode. It's a Gerontix episode. <laughs> and as you know... You hate Gerontix. I hate Gerontix. <laughs> Wait, do you need to explain that again? I don't know that we actually fully understand why. No, don't. don't. <laughs> we, we know you hate Gerontix. I, I, yeah, I hate Gerontix. You know, and it, it was just kind of... It was another one of those episodes that it was... For the, for the most part, it was completely meaningless. Uh, we did get Story's Diary, which came into play, and it makes a lovely light, which that in itself didn't really have a huge impact on the story arc. Yeah. So those are two episodes that kind of hinge on each other, neither of them having anything to do with the <laughs> overall story arc of season one. Yeah, okay. Um, and it was Gerontex. And that's a huge part of it. it well, I'm surprised you didn't include the pilot in there, too. I thought about it, but I was like, man, <laughs> okay. we started there. There was a lot of good stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, no, but I can understand why you would pick that one. And, you know, it was kind of hard to pick, honestly, because there were quite a few that I'm looking through and I'm, eh. This wasn't the strongest. Yeah. I, it just, there there were some bad ones through there, even as, as high as we have talked about each episode. Yeah, there were some that not not so great. Yeah. Um, let's be a little more positive. Okay. Okay. What was the best episode? Uh, for me, Angel Dark Demon Bright. Okay. That's and, and that's funny because we come off of D minus zero, and I think we had what was the the, the episode with Tear Double Helix. Yeah. We yeah. had that little inter interval, and then we had Angel Dark Demon Bright. And for me, this kind of really gave me hope throughout the whole season because <laughs> like you said there are some rough episodes in in this first season mm -hmm. uh d minus zero almost shut me off to it mm -hmm. but then we we come right back here pretty quick with angel dark demon bright and i love this episode because and, and it's and it's so unlike me to like a time travel episode because i have so much pro of, of a problem with time travel in sci-fi <laughs> mm -hmm. it to me it, it all often doesn't tell the best stories or the strongest stories and and leaves you with more questions than than answers but this one answered so much and we had such a strong showing from trance we, we really this is the episode in my mind that sticks out as trance is something different mm -hmm. trance is something far more interesting and knows far more than what she lets on and I, I think it's great that we get to see her in that role in different parts throughout the episode. Uh, we get a lot of exposition about the galaxy that we're in and what has happened to it. 
And I think this is probably for me, this is probably one of the top episodes that I would recommend to somebody to go back. And if they're going to try and get into the show, they definitely have to watch this, this episode because not only are you learning about the environment and the characters, um, it's also dealing with you know, a very serious moral dilemma that it puts the captain in. And, uh, and, and you get to see his response in that. And I, I just, I really enjoyed watching that episode. It, it, the production value is quite good with it as well. So, yeah, that's my favorite. That's the best. Okay. Prove me wrong. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Uh, those are all, this one, this category was actually a little more difficult for me. Because there were so many of the episodes that uh, told so much of the story and were so interesting to watch and that's kind of what I'm looking for and I found that there were several of them that did that Angel Dark Demon Bright was one of them um, you, you mentioned that this was coming off of D-0 and then Double Helix Double Helix was one of them it was and a good one Double yes. Helix was another strong contender I was thinking that might be it because I remember thinking back when I first started watching this this show in its first run that was the first episode that I actually remember was was Double Helix. So there's kind of that nostalgic, sentimental tie to to Double Helix. But I guess, really, if I have to pick just one, it, it's kind of weird that I was saying that Double Helix was one of them because the other one that I ultimately did decide on was also a tier episode. And so I picked Music of a Distant Drum. Mm. Okay. And I, I think that might be a little bit of a surprise pick. It kind of is. Okay. Um, it was another one of those that I remember from watching it back in its first run. And it, it seemed like this one kind of it revealed a lot about what's going on. Um, he, him carrying the mummified remains of Drago Seventy, And just so much that we learn about uh, the Nietzscheans which we also learned in Double Helix. And and it's really hard to just pinpoint exactly what it is about that episode, but that's just one of the ones that always sticks out in my mind. When we first started doing this show, that was kind of an episode that I was always looking forward to. Yeah. I was like, okay, how much longer till Music of a Distant Drum? <laughs> okay. It, it, I, usually I have a, a, a better idea of how to explain why I like an episode. <laughs> It was just very memorable. Um, it's something I think I could watch uh, over and over again. I don't... It's not one of those that you can show to someone for the first time. I was going to say, because this is yeah. not anywhere close to my top five, probably. <laughs> yeah. I, I found myself a little bored with that one. Really? But I, at the same time, though, I can understand why you would pick it. Mm -hmm. Because it is, it is a very good episode. And if I'm not mistaken, it was nominated for some sort of an award as, as well, either from, I think there was a production award associated with it, but I, I'm, I may be completely wrong on that, but it is a, uh, it is a landmark episode mm -hmm. and it is one that's highly regarded by a lot of people. Well, you know, I mean, it was either that or double helix and yeah. it was, uh, I could have flipped a coin on either one of those. Cause I really up until I knew this was coming and even while you were talking about your best, I was still trying to decide <laughs> which one I was going to go with. Okay. So you ask me tomorrow, I, I might say Double you Helix. You might say Double Helix, okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Interesting. 
You know, usually when we are, are doing our normal format of the show, this is the part where we say whether we liked the episode or not. Yeah. We don't have an episode this week. What we do have is a season. Yes. So do we like or do we dislike the first season of Andromeda? Well, I think the answer is obvious. We wouldn't be doing this. We wouldn't be doing a follow-up <laughs> episode if either of us disliked Andromeda. And as far as the first season goes, I think uh, you, I'm going to make a prediction. We're going to have a wrap-up show at the end of five seasons of discussing Andromeda. And the first season is probably going to be the best. I, I, I think that's probably going to be the consensus. And so you can't say anything but yes. If you like Andromeda, you'd love the first season. Yeah. It had its ups and downs through the middle. It started strong and it ended very, very strong. Of course it did. Yeah. So, yeah. I like the first season of Andromeda. Now, I have another question for you. Okay. Okay, there's another show that I would like to ask you about. A show that you're probably pretty familiar with, and it's not as off-topic as you might think it's going to be. (laughs) Okay. There's a little show out there on the internet called Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda (laughs) series podcast. Okay. Now, it also has just concluded its first season. Okay. So I would like to put it to you. Do you like or dislike Drive Back the Night? I'm already signed on for the second season. So I have to say I have thoroughly enjoyed the first season of Drive Back the Night. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, well, we're in agreement. I have enjoyed it very much. What about the listeners? If the listeners enjoy it, might they be able to get a hold of us somehow and just tell us how much they enjoy it? Or if they don't like it? You know what? And and we would welcome any criticisms they might Mm -hmm. have, if they can be constructive in them. We'd appreciate that. But, yeah, you could definitely uh, email in your thoughts on Drive Back the Night or Andromeda in general. And you can do so at drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, at AndromedaPod. Our home is on Podbean. We are www.andromedaseries.podbean.com. We're also on iTunes, and if you listen to us there, uh, subscribe, give us a review, give us some stars. We certainly appreciate it. A big thank you to Tim Kimmerly, who has, over this entire first season, uh, given us his voice for the opening quote for every show and also for joining us here for a little bit this evening that was a lot of fun to be able to 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 get to know him and to be able to put a uh a a voice with the kind of kind of a personality to the voice yeah kind of (laughs) we are an age of geek production and uh, usually we at this point we tell you what episode we're going to be covering next week which what is the next episode the next episode is the widening gyre which is the season premiere of, of season, season two. two. Yeah. That's not going to be next week, though, is it, Ethan? What? Yeah. Oh, that's right. I'm, we're going on vacation. Yes, we are going to be taking a... Holiday! Well-deserved and much-needed vacation. We will be back on Thursday, June the 18th, when we will be dropping our season two premiere of Drive Back the Night. So, we're going to take a vacation. You guys enjoy your vacation from us. Have a good summer. (laughs) We're going on hiatus. (laughs) We're going on hiatus, yeah. (laughs) All right. We will see you back here in a few weeks. Thank you for listening to 
drive back tonight for this entire first season and supporting us. And uh, we hope to see you all back here in a few weeks. Drive back the night.